Welcome to the Journey Church Houston podcast. The Journey is a church plant in Houston, Texas, inviting people on a journey to discover the truth, goodness, and beauty of the Christian story. Whether you are a skeptic, a spiritual seeker, or a committed follower of Jesus Christ, we pray this podcast engages your heart and your mind with the true claims of Christianity, why it is believable, and how it makes sense of our lives and the world. And we hope you're inspired to take your next step in your spiritual journey. In this episode, I, May, started a series of lessons on the journey's core values. Our first and most foundational value is that we want to be a biblical church. In this lesson, we discuss what the Bible is, why it's important, and how we as Christians should relate to the Bible. In short, the Bible is God's revelation of the Christian story, that true, good, and beautiful story that makes sense of the world and gives meaning and purpose to our lives. So let's take a listen as I teach on the journey's biblical value. All right, so Stephen last week talked about our mission as a church of, of introducing the Christian story to people, inviting people on a journey to discover the truth, goodness, and beauty of the Christian story. And he taught about the concept of worldview, that all of us operate out of a, a certain worldview, a way that we understand the world. And that anytime we look at a piece of art, anytime we read a book, anytime we watch a movie or a TV show, there is some underlying worldview. There's some underlying value system that is trying to uh, communicate and impart on us. And so Stephen gave us a little bit of homework um, to just try to have open eyes as we're going about our weeks, that as we encounter works of art, as we watch movies and TV shows, to try to think through what is the value proposition that we're being communicated? Um, what are we being um, invited to adopt as our value system? And so I just want to open up. Uh, does anyone have an example to share how they started to become curious about the underlying worldview beneath something they watched, read, or experienced this last week? Or even if you weren't able to join us for the teaching last week, maybe you can think back through something you watched or read recently. Jude has, a, has something to say. <laughs> okay, yeah, let's hear it. I was listening to the radio and things. Yeah. This is kind of an interesting worldview and things. This was a country station. Of course. Wow, exactly so, so, right. That's all you need to fix life. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, so that's definitely making a, a value proposition, right? Absolutely. That's good. Exactly right. Totally right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly right. No, that's good. Well, there's the one song that's kind of a country song that's like, you know, you just, you, something about, you, you buy a little dirt and you get a little bit of church and things and like you said. And oh, yeah. I, I, that's one of the rarest country songs I've actually heard in, in recent years. Yeah. No, I know what you're talking yeah. about. But it's that place. Um, 
Yeah. The, the one thing I appreciate about the example that you shared about, the, you know, this, the drinking, the beer and the problems will all go away is like, it sounds ridiculous when you say it out loud, yeah. but how many people like are actually living that out, right? Like, oh, I had a hard day of work. Yeah. What do I instinctively reach for, you know, as, as a bottle or a can or whatever. Um, and not to mention, you know, one of the things this is going to get really deep real quick, I guess, you know, one of the things living where we live, we live really close to 610. And so we encounter a lot of homelessness, you know, even in this area, which is a very, you know, revitalizing area that we live just really close to a lot of homelessness. And that's something that we've had to talk to with our, our kids is like how addiction and homelessness creates this vicious cycle, you know, that people get wrapped up in things like addictions that causes them to make poor choices that causes them on the streets. Life on the streets is hard. So they reach to things like substances to drown out their, pro you know, it just creates this vicious cycle. So, yeah. So again, you say it like bluntly like that. It sounds ridiculous, but how many, you know, people are actually living according to that story, right? Yes, sir. Now, I haven't watched the movie, um, but there's been a, a, a new Disney movie. Premise of the movie, at least from the trailer, is that I don't know if the plot takes it in a different direction. But it, the idea is that there's a king who has the ability to grant wishes. And the idea is he sells it like if you turn in your wishes to him, he'll grant them. But he only grants the wishes he thinks best for, for the kingdom. Mm -hmm. And this girl finds out, and like her whole the whole premise of the movie is that she's going to like make she's going to uh, make it to where everyone's wishes are granted. Right. Um, I thought it just it was an interesting flip of script where you know in the past there was this idea that like if there was wishes or some kind of like magic system, it was it was like this. Um, it was it was obviously some supernatural like lawgiver or some kind of supernatural power. It had its own rules, its own like uh, way of operating, and you couldn't control it. But then, uh, and but then, like providentially, almost like someone would be encountering their fairy godmother at the right time in the right place, you'd be able to call upon this this, this magic. But in this case, it's like no, like everyone's wishes could be granted all the time, mm -hmm. no matter what circumstance. Right. And I think that says a little bit about. Right. And people should be able to do what they want to do. And yes. Be able to accomplish what they want to accomplish. Just to shift how our culture is used. Yeah, absolutely. No, those are those are all uh, great examples. Um, so, as Stephen uh, taught us last week, um, we want to be people shaped by the Christian story. We want to be people that have a Christian worldview. Um, and one of the things we're going to talk about today, where we get that from, primarily, is from the Bible. And so another question to just get us getting into our topic for today is when you hear the word Bible, what word or phrase immediately comes to mind? Not, not what you think should come to mind, but what actually comes to mind when you hear the word Bible? 
Yeah, right. We're we're from probably one of the aspects of the Bible that most people are familiar with is like the Ten Commandments, right? There's political controversies about whether we should or should not, you know, post them in in public places and things like that, right? So we think law, we think, you know, thou shalt, thou shalt not. Good. Yeah, that's a great example. Absolutely. Yeah, that's a great example. So the word of God, that's that's definitely one. If you've been around church for any amount of time, um, you know, you're going to hear that the word of God, the word of God. We're going to talk a little bit about today where that idea comes from. Why would we refer to the Bible as the word of God? So that's a great example. Shanae, how about you? You hear the word Bible. What comes to mind? I mean, I was Before I actually understood it, I was reading like old books. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I love a couple of things of what you said. One, you said the word inspired. That's another word that we hear. Like it's the word is it's inspired. Well, what does that mean? Because oftentimes when we talk about the Bible being inspired, it's not the way that we often will use the word inspired or inspiration in other parts of life, right? And so we might get confused. We want to make sure that we understand what we mean by that. And number two, like we said, the Bible does have laws. It does have rules. But one of the things that we're going to talk about today is I don't think that the Bible is most fundamentally a rule book, even though it does have rules in it. So those, those are all uh, great answers. So as we uh, continue to meet together as a mission team, we are going to start today a four-part series talking about our values. Uh, Stephen taught us about our mission last week which is to invite people on a journey to discover the truth, goodness, and beauty of the Christian story. Now, the mission tells us what we do, but our core values determine our culture. Our core values determine how we make decisions. It's how we behave. What are our priorities? They are our organizational non-negotiables. They're the, the guardrails, the guidelines at, that guide us as we pursue this mission of inviting people on a journey to discover the truth, goodness, and beauty of the Christian story. And so for us at The Journey, our four core values are biblical, thoughtful, relational, missional. And today we're going to focus on that first core value, the core value of biblical. And we're going to answer questions like, what is the Bible? And why is the Bible so important? Why is it so foundational? Why is it our intentionally so, our very first core value, and how should we as Christians approach the Bible? And so first, we're going to talk about what is the Bible and why is it important. And we're going to take both of those together because they're so interconnected. What, what the Bible is, is what makes it so important. And we're going to talk about a, a key passage today. It's say, um Shanae used the word inspired, and this is actually one of the passages where we get that idea from. And so, um, Jennifer, would you mind reading these, these verses for us? They, they're right there on, on your handout. 2 Timothy 3, 16-17. And that from childhood you have known the sacred writings, which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is all scripture is inspired by God and beneficial for teaching, for rebuke, for correction, 
pertaining in righteousness, so that the man or woman that died will be fully capable to cook for every good work. Thank you very much. Um, so as we look at these verses, what do these verses reveal about what the Bible is and why it's important? Any Anything that you pick out from here? Absolutely, right? And so, um, again, that idea, like the Bible does have rules. It is meant to shape how we live. It is meant to teach us right from wrong. Again, we'll, we'll argue that it's, it's more than that, or how it gets there, at least, is more than just a list of rules. But absolutely, it is there to train us in how we should live. Um, the way we might say that around here at The Journey is it's meant to teach us what is true, good, and beautiful. Exactly right. You know, so that's uh, it, it reveals how we can be saved. Um, and even in this, these verses, um, we get kind of a clue as to how we're saved. Anyone pick up on that? What does uh, verse 15 have to say about how we are saved? Through faith in Christ Jesus. Yeah, exactly right. So the Bible reveals how we are saved. It reveals the gospel. Exactly right. Yeah, exactly right. So it's, it's going to point us to the right way. It's going to show us where we're off. It's going to help us course correct. Ultimately, as it says, so that we are equipped uh, for service in the body of Christ and in the world. There's at least one other important thing. We've actually already said it. We just haven't said it since reading the passage. Yeah, inspired, right? Um, or um, the Greek word, theopneustos, it can be translated God breathed. And that's one of the places where we talk about the Bible being the word of God. That's what we're saying, that the Bible is written through human authors, but it is at the same time the word of God. In, in an analogous way, we, we as Christians talk about Jesus being both truly God, truly divine, and truly human. In the same way, when we read the Bible, we are reading a human book, but we are also reading a divine book. That, uh, And as you look at other important scriptures that talk about how that works, we talked about the Holy Spirit working through these human authors um, to, to write what they write, using their unique historical circumstances, using their unique personalities. But the Bible is the inspired word of God. It is God breathed. And so, as you can see, we learn a lot about the Bible just from these um couple scriptures here. Um, we're going to do a whole series of lessons later on this fall about our core convictions, which are our most essential and dearly held beliefs. But for now, um, here is how we talk about at the, the journey about our doctrine of scripture, what we believe about scripture. In other words, this is at the journey, what we believe the Bible is and why it's important. And we like to say the Bible made up of the 66 canonical books of the Old and New Testaments. We can talk about what that word canonical means another time. Uh, this, but the 66 books of the Old and New Testament is God's revelation to humanity. The scriptures reveal the Christian story, the true, good, and beautiful story of the Creator and His creation, centered on the person and work of Christ in His first and second comings. They are inspired by God, the very words of God mediated through human authors. 
They are inerrant, without error in their original manuscripts. They are authoritative, to be trusted and obeyed, and they are sufficient, containing all we need to know for salvation and faithful living. In other words, for the journey. And what I want to focus on tonight is, is one line from that statement. And this is my, if you forget everything else we talk about tonight, remember this. The scriptures reveal the Christian story. The Bible is made up of 66 books written by around 40 different human authors over the course of about 1,500 years with a wide range of genre from narrative to poetry to prose discourse, but all of it reveals one unified story. And this story follows the same basic arc as any other story. And so here's a, a helpful graphic put together by the late Dallas Theological Seminary professor, Dr. Charles Bayless, um, that illustrates the basic points in a story, in a piece of narrative literature. In other words, uh, the, the major points of a story. Um, and so first you have the setting. You know, the beginning of the story, you're introduced to the world of the story. And, and in particular, you'll be introduced to the protagonist, the, the main character, the, the hero. Um, and things are going along pretty well for about 30 seconds into the movie or about one chapter into the story, right? And then something happens. There's a tension that's created. There's some sort of conflict. Often that conflict is introduced by an antagonist, the what we'd call the bad guy who, who disrupts the setting. And then the majority of the story is what we call rising action. So this is where the protagonist sets out on a course to pursue a solution to this problem. And the driving force, the protagonist's plan, is what Dr. Bayless calls the philosophy. And this is often kind of points to the moral of the story. This is often the, the lesson that we, the audience, are supposed to walk away with and be changed by. Whatever, you know, that philosophy, that driving force that led that hero to ultimately succeed is the value proposition that we should adopt as the audience as well. And all this action builds towards that climax, um, kind of the height of the story where all the problem is resolved, where the protagonist succeeds. And then the end of the story, we have a fancy French word here, denouement, which is where all the strings are tied up. And almost always the end of the story is better than the beginning of the story even before the problem was introduced because of what the characters have learned and accomplished along the way. So I remember when I was first like really diving into this uh, concept as it relates to the Bible, um, Haven, our daughter, was going through a phase where she really enjoyed the very hungry caterpillar. And I remember thinking through kind of like what uh, Stephen challenged us to do last week. I'm like, okay, how do I break this down into the parts of the story? Okay, well, what's the setting of the very hungry caterpillar? Now, there's this egg, and out pops a caterpillar, the protagonist, right? The hero of the story. But all is not well. He's hungry. In fact, he's very hungry. So he sets out on a mission. He's, he's going to find something to eat that will satisfy his hunger. And so he keeps trying day after day to find something that will satisfy his hunger, but it's to no avail. He eats different food. He eats more food. But every time he is still hungry. Even uh, he, when it comes to look 
satisfying first. Like maybe this is it. It never ultimately satisfies. And finally, he gets so full, so huge that he feels sick. So he gets up the next day. And this time, he decides to eat a leaf. And he finally feels better. We finally have resolution to this problem. Our caterpillar is no longer very hungry. But the story isn't done yet. He builds a cocoon around himself. And then two weeks later, he emerges as a beautiful butterfly. And this, again, as I was just mentioning, the end of the story is even better than the beginning. Now is he not, not only is he no longer hungry, but he can fly. And so this is the basic character or story arc of basically any story we ever encounter, including the Bible. So the Christian story follows this same basic uh, arc. So first we have the setting, which is creation. And so here are a few verses um, from Genesis chapter 1. Um, Sophia, would you be willing to read those verses for us, please? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And God said, let us make mankind in our image, according to our likeness. And let them rule over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the sky, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every crawling thing that crawls upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. And the image of God he created him. Male and female he created him. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and rule over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the sky, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Thank you. Now this is just an excerpt from the, the setting of the story, but even in just these few verses, what, what do we learn about the setting of this story? Who's the first character we're introduced to? God, right? So the main character, the hero of this story is God. And even in just these few verses that we see here, what do, what do we learn about him and what do we learn about his, um, what he desires? Yeah, he's the creator, right? He created all things. He created the heavens and the earth, which is basically a Hebrew way of saying everything, okay? <laughs> Sorry, that's a that's a Bodhi Bakum influence. Uh. He made mankind. In yeah, and his image, right? And what is a what is the purpose of an image? Don't, I'm not trying to be super philosophical. Like it is. Yeah, it's it's a representative, right? Um, so the example that I use is. I, the wallpaper on my phone is a picture of our daughter. And so um, that picture is not our daughter. It's a representative of our daughter. So an image is meant to uh, represent something. So humanity, God created humanity to represent him, to be his representative, representatives. And what is at least one way that we see from this passage that humanity is meant to represent? Him? What, what does he tell humanity to do? Yeah, absolutely. So God, being the creator, is the ultimate ruler, but he creates humanity to be his co-rulers, to, to rule over 
the, the rest of creation. So this is the setting of the story. We have this main character, God, who created all things and created humanity to be his representatives and his co-rulers. And again, it goes right for about 30 seconds. Then we get to, uh, in chapter 3 of the Bible, the uh, chapter 3 of Genesis, we get to the conflict, the event known as the fall. So we're introduced to an antagonist um, who we come later in the story to know is, is Satan. He, he comes on the scene in the form of a serpent, and he gets the, the first man and the first woman to submit to him instead of God. And so sin enters the world, and through sin comes death. And this idyllic garden kingdom that has been created has fallen. So the hero, God, makes a plan. The philosophy of the story, he makes a promise. And to the serpent, he says this. Stephen, will you uh, read the verses there? Under... Yeah, I will make So the setting of our story, creation, conflict, fall, and then we can call our philosophy redemption promise. That God promised that from the woman would come a son who would be the perfect representative of God, who would defeat the serpent, and who would rule the kingdom of God on earth. Now, here's the cool thing. If you have ever tried to read your Bible and it left you confused, that was often me, um, I think this is going to help you. Everything from that point in the story through Revelation 18 is rising action. So if our philosophy is redemption uh, promised, we could call the rising action of the story redemption and progress. And so this progressive accomplishment of this plan of redemption happens from Genesis 4 all the way through Revelation 18. Along the way, there's some major themes. We're going to see that what Stephen read in, in this verse. We're going to see this theme of the seed or the offspring of the serpent versus the seed of the serpent. So you have Moses and the Israelites versus Pharaoh. You have David and Goliath. I was just listening to a podcast um, yesterday that was talking about how Goliath's armor was uh, made of scales that it was made of bronze and, and the Hebrew word for bronze sounds like the Hebrew word for snake. Um, how does David defeat Goliath? He hits him on the head and then chops his head off. Right. Uh, and then you fast forward. I know it's crazy. Right. And, and then, <laughs> and then you get to uh, the new Testament and you have Jesus versus the Pharisees. Right. And I think both Jesus and John the Baptist, what do they call the Pharisees? He's, Calls them you brood of vipers, right? So we see this theme of the seed of the serpent versus the seed of the woman. Another theme that we see throughout the story is humanity's failure, but God's faithfulness. Um, so I remember I was meeting with a, a group of guys that I was discipling. We were just working our way through um, Scripture, kind of hitting the main storyline of Scripture. And I remember about like book four or five of the Bible, I was asking them like, you know, so what would you say is like the main point of this book? And one of them said something basically to the effect of like, humans are stupid, but God is good. And I'm like, that's it. That's basically the storyline of every book of the Bible. Um, and then the last thing that I would point out is the tracing of this line of promise 
looking for the Savior King. So you can kind of see on this slide uh, here, this rising action. So immediately after Genesis 3, we have Cain and Abel. And we trace this line of promise to Noah, to Abraham, to Jacob, who gets renamed Israel. And his 12 sons ultimately become the 12 tribes of Israel. And they become slaves in Egypt, but God rescues them in, in Exodus, led by the, the man Moses. They enter the promised land. Eventually, this kind of confederation of tribes becomes a kingdom. The greatest king of all is David. And God promises David that there will come from him a, a son who will rule the kingdom for forever. Um, but it doesn't take long for things to spiral out of control again. And we, we get a divided kingdom, Israel in the north, Judah in the south. Eventually, both of those kingdoms are so terrible, God kicks them out of the land. Um, and then eventually there's a, a partial return, but not yet a full restor restoration. Then we get to the New Testament, we get to Christ, and then we get to where we are in the story, which is uh, the church. And all of this is building towards the climax of the story, which is the cross and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Um, where the serpent bruises the heel of the son, where Jesus died on the cross for our sins, but that he rose again on the third day, defeating Satan, sin, and death. The way the apostle Paul summarized this in his letter to the Corinthians, he said, For I handed down to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. The central point of this story is what we call the gospel. In fact, earlier, if I quoted just a couple of verses earlier in 1 Corinthians 15, that's what Paul is going to say, uh, that this is the summary statement of the gospel, the climax of this story. And it's all building towards a resolution that we read about in Revelation 19 and 20, that even though Satan, sin, and death have been defeated, they have not yet been eradicated. That happens when the king returns and establishes the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. Um, and this is where we find ourselves today, between the first and second comings of Christ. We are still in the rising action of the story. So we know the end of the story uh, because it's been revealed to us in Scripture, but we have not. Uh, you doing like an army crawl? <laughs> All right, you got to get real low. You got to go under that chair. <laughs> <laughs> oh man so we're not there yet in terms of our lived experience but we know the end of the story we know the resolution and that's our source of hope the return of christ the establishment of the kingdom the resurrection uh, from the dead and that satan sin and death will be eradicated forevermore one day but again the story is not done we still have the tying up of all the strings. Uh, the denouement is new creation. So we have creation, fall, redemption, and then new creation. And John, in uh, chapter 21 of Revelation, describes it this way. He says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle, or the dwelling of God, is among the people, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people. And God himself will be among them, and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will be no longer any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. And he who sits on the throne said, Behold, 
I am making all things new. Satan, sin, and death defeated and eradicated. Believers throughout uh, all ages resurrected to eternal life, new heaven, new earth, even better than the first, because now there's no more serpent, no more sin, no more pain, no more death. Peace, joy, and fellowship with God forever. That's the Christian story. That is what is revealed to us when we read the Bible. So we know what the Bible is. We know why it's important. Uh, it is God's revelation of the Christian story. It's how we know what is true, good, and beautiful. How we know uh, God who is truth, who is goodness, who is beauty. So how should we then, as Christians, approach the Bible? Hopefully you could almost answer this question just based on what we have talked about already. And that is first and foremost, we should approach it as a story. So while the Bible is unique in, in the sense that it is God-breathed, it is the Word of God, um, many of the mistakes that we as Bible readers make is we read the Bible like we would read nothing else. Um, you know, there's this good and right desire we talked about in 2 Timothy 3, right? We should um, derive teaching from the Bible, like it should be relevant and applicable to our lives, but often we, we try to jump too quickly to application. So while the, the Bible should shape and form our lives, too often we, we skip or rush through taking the time to really fully understand what the biblical author, the original author, was trying to communicate to the original audience first before we think through and try to discern how do we apply the, the timeless principles that might be present in the text to us today. And so my encouragement to us all today is simply read it. Read it like a story. Yes, there, there is time to, to slowly walk through and, and savor all of the details of individual, each individual tree, but my encouragement to us today is don't lose the forest for the trees. The, the parts of the Bible help us make sense of the whole, but the whole also helps us make sense of the parts. And when you understand the story, all the individual parts of the story start to make sense as you see how it all fits together. And most of the, the Bible, uh, most of the books of the Bible, most of the sections within books of the Bible are narrative. That is the most um, prevalent genre in Scripture. And then even the rest, the, the poetry, the prophets, the letters, they're, they're basically commentaries on that story. But it's not just any story. It's a God-authored story. You're doing a great uh, army spy crawl there. You're doing awesome. <laughs> so it's a God-authored story. It's a true story. It's a good story. It's a beautiful story. Um, and so much good and so much life transformation would happen if we simply made a habit of reading in fact, LifeWay Research did a, a study, and they found that the number one habit correlated with spiritual growth is what they called Bible engagement, which most fundamentally means reading it. And so if you are not already in the, the habit of, of daily Bible reading, let me encourage you to adopt that process, uh, practice. Um, and to do that, you need three things. You need a time, a place, and a plan. And so time, what, what I want us all to do is I, I want us all to think through our schedule and I want you to pick a time of day when you have at least 10 or 15 minutes or, or you can make 10 to 15 minutes for reading your Bible. 
My personal suggestion, I'm not saying this is what it has to be, but my personal suggestion is to do that in the mornings, if at all possible, uh, because I have found that um, most people can be most consistent in the mornings before all the other distractions of life get in the way. And it also helps get our days started off in on the right foot. Um, but no one knows your schedule more than you. And no one knows better than you when you can be most consistent. So that would be an encouragement, but not a, a command. So think through your schedule. When do you already have or when can you make 10 to 15 minutes for Bible reading? And then second, you need a place. So think through a place uh, and you want to pick as quiet and distraction free of an environment as possible. Now, if you have three kids in the home ranging from 10 years to 10 weeks, that can be difficult. Um, but do the best you can, right? Um, often something is infinitely better than nothing. Um, so in, in a few moments, we're going to break into to prayer partners. And I would encourage you, one of the things to talk through with whoever you wind up being partnered up with is um, when are you going to try to make a habit of Bible reading? And, and where are you, you going to do it? What is going to be your time and what is going to be your place? And, and ask and encourage one another to, to help hold one, one another accountable. That as you're checking in on one another throughout the week, ask, hey, you know, you said you were going to try, you know, waking up 15 minutes earlier. How's that going? Or you said you were going to try to get to the office 15 minutes earlier and do your Bible reading there. You said you were going to listen to the Bible on your commute to work or whatever you decide is your ideal place and uh, time, you know, to check in on that. Uh, and then finally, you need a plan. Good news is we have you covered there. We have put together a, a custom reading plan that if you start tomorrow reading one chapter a day, five days a week, so you still got two days of flex if you miss a day or, or whatever uh, may be the case. If you read one chapter a day, five days a week, starting tomorrow, between now and the end of the year, you can read through the book of Luke, the book of Acts, and the book of Romans. Now, why would we choose those three books other than the fact that just timing-wise, it worked out? Well, Luke is one of the, the four Gospels, uh, one of the four books in the New Testament that teach about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Um, and yes, I realize we're dropping you off in the middle of the story. You're like, you've made this big deal, Mace, about how the Bible's a story, you know, from Genesis to Revelation. Why are we dropping uh, in, the, in the middle? Well, one, hopefully, Again, you always have that overview of the entire story to kind of orient you. This is where we are. Uh, but number two, um, Luke was likely written to an audience that was not super familiar with the Hebrew scriptures, that were not super familiar with the story. And so you see examples of Luke, even within Luke, trying to tie the story of Jesus to this larger story. So, for example, Luke has this genealogy in Luke chapter 3, it goes all the way back to creation, the son of Adam, the son of God. So Luke is, even within itself, is trying to connect the story of Jesus to this larger Christian story that we've been talking about. And then Acts is the, the sequel to Luke, written by the same author to the same audience, and it tells the history of the early church and the ministry of the apostles. And then finally, Romans is, um, it is a letter. It was written to a specific people for a specific purpose, but it is the closest thing that we get to a, a theological treatise from the Apostle Paul. So he explains the gospel of grace. He ties it into the larger story, and he explains how the gospel and how the Christian story should affect 
life change. And so I would encourage us all to, to get on that, that reading plan, or even if you already have something else that you're doing, adding a chapter a day, hopefully it would not be um, too much. Because one of the things that I have found is when you get a group of people all tracking along through the Bible together, God does some wonderful things as you start you know, encouraging one another with what you're reading. Like, oh yeah, that's just like we read in Luke or that's just like we read in, in Acts the other day. Um, hopefully, just having this big picture overview of the story helps you as you're are reading, working your reading plan. But we also have compiled a list of free Bible study resources for you all. Um, so all of these are, are totally free, even though I would probably pay money for all of these. That's how... Uh, valuable I find all of these are. Now, none of these are what we talked about. None of these are the inspired word of God. Um, we may not agree with absolutely every word that is, is written or, or said in them, um, but they are solid and we, we think that you'll find them edifying as you use them. So the, the first one is the biblicalstory.org. This is the website of Dr. Charles Bayless. Um, this is the one who... Um, I'm, I need a credit for the, the charts that we have. This is the one that whose teaching has shaped much of this content that we have covered today. Um, his website has a, a wealth of commentaries, articles, and videos on specific books of the Bible and how they contribute to the, the biblical story and how to read different parts of Scripture, how to read biblical narrative, how to read the letters in the New Testament. Another one that I would commend to you is uh, soniclight.com. This is a, a website that contains free commentaries on every book of the Bible from Dr. Thomas Constable, who was the longtime department chair of the Bible Exposition Department at Dallas Theological Seminary. Then we have the, the Net Bible. The Net Bible is cool for a couple different reasons. One, it's a, it's a very readable translation um, without going down a, a whole rabbit trail about translation philosophies that basically on the one end, you have very literal word for word translations on the one end, and then you have very, um, more paraphrase type translations on the other, the, the net Bible, the translation itself leans more towards that. Uh, it's not, I wouldn't call it a paraphrase, but it leans more in that, that direction. So you, you'd find it very readable, but um, the greatest value comes from the wealth of footnotes. So they cover everything from um, text critical issues to in interpretive issues. Next, um, we have teachmethebible.com. Um, this is a, a podcast and other resources from Dr. David Klingler, who's a Bible exposition professor at Dallas Theological Seminary. Um, so I never had the privilege of personally taking a class from Dr. Charles Bayless, but I did get to take several classes with Dr. Klingler who was heavily influenced by Dr. Bayless. And so you're going to see a lot of the similar themes in, in his teaching, um, the focus on understanding the story of Scripture and how every chapter and book in the Bible contributes to this story. Uh, and then finally is the, the podcast Bible Talk, which is from um, a ministry called Nine Marks. And they are going through books of the Bible starting from the beginning. So they started in Genesis, and right now they're in Samuel. So actually, the, the podcast episode that I mentioned about that was referring to David and Goliath um, actually was a Bible talk uh, podcast episode. Um, so they trace uh, the storyline. They trace key themes throughout uh, the scripture. Um, but again, um, I don't want you to be overwhelmed by these resources. I want you to have them available to you. My primary encouragement to us all is just read it.
Don't jump too quickly to try to find an application point. Focus on tracing the storyline throughout Luke Acts and tracing Paul's argument through the book of Romans. Focus on reading and understanding and application will come. Sometimes even just subconsciously as our mind begins to grasp a better understanding of this Christian story. Along these lines, uh, a book that I, I love recommending to people is, is called Habits of Grace by David Mathis. He talks about the basic, what you'll often hear referred as the spiritual disciplines of the Christian life, um, Bible reading and prayer and community with our fellow believers. And on this topic, um, he talks about how Bible reading is both a science and an art. So the the science side of, of Bible reading would be things like grammar, understanding uh Grammar. You don't have to understand all the formal terms, but just understanding how language works. Um, but it's also an art. And he says the best way to learn the art of reading the Bible for yourself is this. Read it for yourself. At the end of the day, there is simply no replacement for finding a regular time and place, locking out distractions, putting your nose in the text, and letting your mind and your heart be led and captured and thrilled by God himself communicating to us in his objective written words. The single most important thing you can do is make a regular habit of reading the Bible for yourself. So what is the Bible and why is it important? The Bible is the inspired word of God that reveals the Christian story, the true, good, and beautiful story that makes sense of our world and our purpose in it, the story of creation, fall, redemption, and new creation. And how should we as Christians approach the Bible? We approach it as a story. We read it, and we familiarize ourselves with the story, and we allow ourselves to be transformed by the story. So that's why our first and most fundamental value as a church is we want to be a biblical church. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the gift of the Bible through which we come to know you, um, the one who is true, the one who is good, the one who is beautiful. And we come to understand the story that you are weaving in our world today, the story of creation, of how you are the creator who created all things. And you created us as the pinnacle of your creation to be your representatives, to be your co-rulers. And that even though we all have messed it up, we all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, you set about your great plan of redemption, centered on the person and work of Jesus Christ, climaxing in the, the cross, the death for our sins, and the resurrection, which is just a preview and a promise of our future resurrection, Lord, that by grace alone, through faith alone and Christ alone, we too can be resurrected to eternal life when our King returns and establishes the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. And we get to enjoy eternity with you forever, forever in the new heavens and the new earth, a world of peace, joy, um, prosperity, goodness, beauty, Lord. That's the story. It's not just a story. It is the story, Lord. So help us as we go forth and we, we begin to try to cultivate this practice of regular reading of our Bibles, Lord. We, we ask for you to help us come to be more intimately familiar with this story 
and through understanding this story, Lord, to see and understand and grow in more awe of who you are, Lord. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Journey Church Houston podcast. For more resources and to connect with us, including to learn how you can be a part of the journey, visit thejourneyhouston.org.